Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning to Acts 22. Acts 22. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, The Power of a Testimony. Beginning in verse 1, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet and said, and, and he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness." From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Father, we are so grateful for the message of this book, the missionary zeal that leaps off of each page of the book of Acts. Lord, we thank you for the men and women that we've read about and how you have used them to further your kingdom's purposes. And Lord, we thank you for this text that shows us the power of a testimony. That's really all that Paul is doing here. He's testifying of the change that you made in his life through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, may we understand as well how you can use our testimony. Help us never to underestimate that. And Lord, for the one here today who perhaps has no testimony, speak to their heart. Draw them to faith in Christ and change them. And Lord, as we leave this place later today, I pray that you would loosen our lips and embolden our hearts that we might speak of the great things that you have done for us in our lives to your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, supposedly the following, the following seven little um, excerpts are actual testimony, court case testimony of, of some of the questions that have been asked in courts of law. In the first one, the witness was on the stand and the lawyer asked, what gear were you in at the moment of impact? What gear were you in? And she responded by saying, Gucci sweats and Reebok tennis shoes. <laughs> Another one. How old is your son, the one living with you? He's 38. And how long now has he been living with you in your home? 45 years. Did you blow your horn? You mean before the accident? Yes, before the accident. Oh yes, I've played now for 10 years. I even went to school for it. Now doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in their sleep, he usually does not know about it until the next morning? <laughs> now I like this one. Maybe I shouldn't say this one. So you believe the date of the conception of your baby to have been August the 8th? Yes, sir. That's right. August the 8th. And what were you doing at the time? <laughs> and the last, last one. And you say it was approximately 8 a.m. when you began the autopsy on the victim? Yes, approximately 8 a.m. And, and was he dead? Folks, this morning, I want you to think about the power of testimony. Testimony is used every day in this nation, sometimes in powerful ways. A testimony can send someone away to prison for life. Or a testimony can set someone free. Now, this morning, if I were to ask everyone here, who among us has the gift of teaching. Would you stand please? I would assume that a few people here and there would indeed rise to their feet. Not everybody, but a few. If I were to say who has the gift of giving, again a few would rise to your feet. If I were to ask who has the gift of helps or the gift of serving, a few would rise to your feet. In all of those cases, I would expect a portion of the congregation to stand, but certainly not everyone. And yet, if I were to say, how many of you out there who are Christians have a testimony, 
would you stand? Then I would expect every single person in the congregation who names the name of Jesus Christ would rise to their feet. Because every believer has a testimony. The one thing we all have in common is that once we were not a believer, but now we are. And we can say, and here are the circumstances surrounding how I came to faith in Christ. You see, no one is born a Christian. No one is born a Christian. You may be born into a Christian family, but this does not mean that you were born a Christian. All Christians have a testimony. Now, not all testimonies are as dramatic as others. Some became believers quite young. And you may not even remember all the details surrounding your new birth. And so some testimonies are more dramatic than others. But all testimonies emphasize one thing. And that one thing is the change that Jesus Christ has made in me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Christ gives us a new life. He makes changed people out of us. I heard about a preacher who had been challenged to a debate one day by an atheist. And he said to the atheist, I'll be glad to debate you, but here is one condition. You bring some folks with you whose lives have been changed for the better by your belief in atheism. And I'll bring some people with me who will testify to the fact that their lives have become better through Christ. He never heard from the atheist again the debate still hasn't taken place. Now, to talk to some people, you would think that they don't have any way whatsoever to serve the Lord. They're not called to preach. They're not called to teach. They're they're not an evangelist. They say, Pastor, there is nothing that I have by which I can serve the Lord. Well, folks, that's not true. Because again, if you are a Christian, you have a testimony. And if nothing else, your testimony can be used to serve Christ. In fact, I think of an individual in the Gospels that Jesus called to do just that. Remember the Gerasene demoniac in Mark chapter 5 after Jesus drove all those demons out of him? That man wanted to begin following Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus. He said, Lord, I want to come with you. And the Lord said to him, no, you go back to your townspeople and you share with them the great things that God has done for you. Jesus was challenging that man to use nothing else other than his testimony to be a servant of the Lord through that. And so if nothing else, you and I can can serve the Lord in that regard. Now this morning, I want us to see another case where all the Apostle Paul does is to share his testimony. Here's a man who had been called to be an apostle, a missionary, a church planner. And he did all of those things amazingly well. But folks, in our text this morning, all he is doing is simply sharing his testimony. 
People say, but Scott, I'm certainly no Apostle Paul. No, you're not, and I'm not either. But again, we can all do what Paul was doing here. Now, in a testimony, we learn of the change that Jesus Christ has made in one's life. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is Paul makes a defense. Look again at verse 1. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Now circle that word defense in your Bible. It is literally the word apologia. Apologia. Paul is going to make a defense of the gospel. I want you to also jot down 1 Peter 3.15 because you'll recall what Peter was saying in 1 Peter 3.15. He said, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter is telling us to give a defense. Paul is giving a defense here, an apologia. Now, there's a whole field of study. There's a whole discipline known as apologetics. Apologetics is a discipline where you give a defense of the Christian faith. Now, even within the field of apologetics, there are subcategories to that. There are different concentrations. For example, one field of apologetics concentrates on showing the viability of creationism over against evolution. Uh, Another subgrouping of apologetics uh, gives the the defense for the reliability of the Scripture. And still another subcategory of apologetics gives the, the reasons or the validity for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so different fields within apologetics. You may have heard the story of Frank Morrison. Frank Morrison was a lawyer that one day decided he's going to sit down to his desk and take his pen out and begin doing research and he was going to write a book that debunked Christianity. Well, he launched out in his research. Halfway through his research, he put his pen down. He got down beside his desk and he knelt and he surrendered his life over to the Lord Jesus. And the book changed. Instead of being a book against Christianity, it was for Christianity and particularly the resurrection. You may have the book. Frank Morrison wrote a well-known book, a tiny little book, but a great book called Who Moved the Stone? What was Frank being? An apologist. An apologist. That's what Paul is doing here. He's concentrating on and showing the validity of uh, of Christianity to a Jewish audience. Now folks, in his defense, Paul could have zeroed in immediately right on doctrinal points because he did that in other places. I think, for example, about 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. 
And so again, Paul could have launched out here in a big doctrinal treatise, but he doesn't do that. His particular defense on this day is going to be none other than giving a defense of what has happened to him. His own experience. Would you be able to do that? Would you be able to give a defense, an apologia of your encounter with Jesus Christ? That's what Paul's doing. And it's important as believers that we're ready, that we're able to be able to do that. Now, a second thing I want you to see with me is Paul describes his life before becoming a Christian. Pick up reading with me in verse uh, 3. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Notice what Paul is doing there as as he is speaking to this Jewish audience and he's giving a defense. He, He begins in that defense by talking about how he used to be, his life before Christ. And he concentrates there on his race, on his family, on his uh, education, and on his zeal. It sounds an awfully lot like Philippians chapter 3 to me. Remember in Philippians 3, Paul said, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see what Paul's concentrating on in both of those passages? Philippians 3 and and also Acts 22 beginning in verse 3. He's talking about his life before he met Christ. And what is he doing here? He is identifying with his audience. Who was his audience? His audience at this point was a Jewish audience. Folks, please don't think Paul was ever ashamed of being a Jew. He was not. In Romans chapter 9, he spoke of the spiritual advantages that Jews have. He says, to them belongs the adoption. You see, when God was looking for a people to choose, he chose Abraham and built a new nation out of him. And to them also belong the the covenants, the giving of the law, the prophets, how to properly worship God, not as the pagans around them were worshiping God, but as God desired to be worshiped. And finally, and most of all, through the Jewish line, the Messiah came as far as his humanity. Jesus was a Jew. I tell you, it's hard for me to understand how any born-again Christian today can possibly be anti-Semitic. 
Folks, we ought to love the Jewish people. We, we owe the Jewish people so much. Our New Testament stands on the foundation of the Old Testament. Paul was a Jew and he was proud of his family. He was also proud of his culture and his education. He had been trained by none other than this man named here uh, who, whose name was Gamaliel. Now the Torah, uh, excuse me, the Talmud, the Talmud, which is the, the uh, Jewish rabbis, their, their writings of all of their oral traditions and contained in that all their commentaries too on the scriptures. And the Talmud, the, the Jewish rabbis said that when Gamaliel died, a true love and respect for the law died with him. That's how much the Jewish people in the first century thought of Gamaliel. And Paul talks here about his culture and his education that he actually sat at the feet of Gamaliel and was a student of, uh, of his. And so Paul is saying, I had all of this going for me in my life. And as his audience heard all of that this day, they should have appreciated all of those different aspects about the Apostle's Paul, Apostle Paul's life. If they wanted to emphasize the flesh... Here was a man in their midst who could do even a better job than they at that. But you know, none of those things save you. Folks, there's no reason for you and I to be ashamed of our backgrounds, but neither should we boast about our backgrounds. And we can't boast about our accomplishments. In fact, Romans 3 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Down in verse 27, he says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You see what Paul has learned in his life? However great his background might have been or his family line might have been, whatever, however great his, his education and his training was, however great his keeping of the law must, must have been, like he said in Philippians 3, 7, all of these things I consider as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. We're not saved by our background or our bloodline or our accomplishments. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul learned that day on the road to Damascus. That it wasn't his heritage, it was Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1, Paul went so far as to say that he was the very worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. And so that was his assessment now of his life before meeting Jesus. But again, what Paul is doing here in these verses is simply helping his audience to see that he was once in their shoes. 
all of the hostilities that they are feeling towards him, guess what? There was a day he felt those same kind of hostilities. He shared their experience. He shared their outrage about the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, he went further in his outrage than they were because he was traveling all around trying to lock up Christians and put them in jail and even have put, some of them put to death because of their faith in, in, in the Lord Jesus. All of this was designed in his testimony to get their attention and to show that there was a time that he stood on the very same points that they were standing on. And he's setting them up. He's setting the table. He's setting them up for what he's going to share with them next. But for a moment this morning, I want you to think about your own testimony. Without glorifying sin, What would you say to an unbelieving audience to relate to them, to put yourself right in the middle of where they are that would describe your life before knowing Jesus Christ? What are some of the points that you would make? Now, don't do what a lot of people today do. When a lot of people get get up to give their testimony, they, they go into all the gory details of every little sin they've ever committed in their life. And it almost becomes a one-upmanship type thing because uh, the next guy gets up and he wants to make his life out to have even been worse than the guy that just spoke. And the next one does the same. And so we don't really need to play that one-upmanship and, and glorify all the, all the sin that we might have done in our lives. But nonetheless, could you get up and, and as a first point in your testimony, could you relate to an unbeliever and tell him or her about your life before Jesus Christ? That's simply what Paul is doing here. Uh, Thirdly, I want you to notice, Paul describes how he met Jesus, beginning in verse 6. He says, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Paul wants them to know that there was a day in his hatred of Jesus Christ that that he was going even outside of the boundaries of Judea and Jerusalem and trying to find Christians everywhere to have them put in prison. He was on his way that particular day 150 miles above Jerusalem to Damascus. Damascus was the capital of Syria. We still hear a lot about Damascus in the news today. Damascus is not a place where a Christian would want to be today, right now. That ISIS group is there. Christians in Damascus today are literally getting their heads chopped off. Damascus was the area that Paul was headed to because he had learned that there was a large Christian population that had moved there. And so he was going to get them and drag them back. And he was going to put them on trial. 
You can sense Paul's hatred of Christians before he became one. He was a zealous Jew. He got letters from a high priest to go to Damascus and bring Christians back as prisoners. And so Paul had a group of men traveling with him to help him in this endeavor. But something happened on the road to Damascus. And what was that? Paul met Jesus. Paul met Jesus. Folks, I want you to notice in the text, Paul was not seeking Jesus at all. And yet God in his grace was seeking Paul. Now, as I was studying this week for this message, my mind went back to a dinner that Connie and I attended last year at the Billy Graham Library. Pastor Abedini's wife, Nagme, she was the speaker that night. Pastor Abedini is the American pastor of Iranian descent who went back to Iran to open orphanages and uh, start churches and to share the gospel. He was captured and, and put in prison. He's still in prison today. Well, his wife spoke that night about her own conversion. She gives the testimony of she and her older brother, and when they were where they were living in the in the Middle East, how they were, their family was a devoted Muslim family. And her brother, from about the time that he was only nine or ten years of age, the 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 radical Muslims zeroed in on him and chose him as one of these boys that they would try to raise up to be a jihadist, a terrorist. And so when their parents learned of this, they grabbed uh, Nagme and her brother up. They moved to the United States to get away from the radicals, and they landed down in California. And they lived with some family there. And then one morning, her brother, after they got up one morning, her brother came, came to her and said, Nagme, we must become Christians. We must become followers of Jesus. Jesus appeared to me in a vision last night and told me that he is the Messiah. He is the true way of salvation and we must follow him. So Nagme, I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. And she said in that period of time in her life, she and her brother both became very dedicated Christians. Well, the parents were concerned about that. So they grabbed them up again and moved to Idaho. Because they had more family over in Idaho and they wanted the help of the extended family who could kind of indoctrinate the children, help the parents indoctrinate the children away from Christianity and back to Islam. Well, an indoctrination did take place, but it wasn't the adults to the children. Within one year, she said that she and her little brother, she and her big brother had seen all the adults in her family likewise Come to faith in Jesus Christ. What made the difference? Her brother had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Her brother had a Damascus Road type experience just like the Apostle Paul uh, is saying here that he had. On the road to Damascus, Paul was knocked to the ground by a sudden light that was brighter than the noonday sun. And Jesus spoke to Paul. Paul recognized that this had to be God. And so he says, who are you, Lord? And the answer came back, I am Jesus 
of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. What a dramatic conversion Paul had. And so in his testimony, Paul shares all of these details. He shared how he was just like them. He believed just like they believed. In fact, he was even more zealous than they. And yet the Lord had had mercy on him and showed him that Jesus is Lord. Folks, it is a powerful, powerful word of testimony that Paul shares with them as to how he became a Christian. Have you met the Lord? Have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Jesus said, no one will see the kingdom of heaven except he is born again. Have you met Christ? Some of you may recall C.S. Lewis's arguments over how he said he had to decide that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Now, Lewis was, was criticizing people who want to say that Jesus was only a good moral teacher and nothing other than that. Now, apologists typically don't don't use Lewis's arguments today, but yet Lewis was making a very valid point. Lewis said, if Jesus was not the Son of God, then he was either a deluded lunatic or a liar because he claimed to be the Son of God. And so how can you say, on the one hand, that he is a good moral teacher if he was not who he said he was? Because if he was not who he said he was, he's not to be trusted. But if he is who he says he is, as we believe he is, then you can also say he was a good moral teacher, but he was more than that. He was also the Savior, is also the Savior. And so Lewis was simply pointing out that skeptics who deny Jesus' sonship can't have it both ways. If Jesus is not the Son of God, then you can't claim that he's a good moral teacher. But moving on and sharing your testimony, describe how you met Jesus. Just like you describe your life before Christ, tell how you met Christ. Describe how you've come to accept the biblical claims of Jesus as Lord. Describe your conversion. Folks, that is always a very powerful testimony to give. I still remember like it was yesterday. The tremendous peace that flooded my soul and how my life changed back in November of 1982. I didn't have to try to change things that needed changing after that. Those sinful desires and practices were no longer what appealed to me. And I still remember how instantly my language was cleaned up. I remember how instantly there was a desire to begin reading the Bible and being part of a church fellowship. That change was immediate. Now, I'm not saying that there won't be things that we have to work on because... There are. There are some sins that die slowly. We've got to die daily to sinful desires that the New Testament talks about. But the difference is, folks, when somebody meets Jesus Christ, they now want to change those things. John says in 1 John that if you claim to have met Jesus and yet you still walk in the darkness as a way of life, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. 
John's not talking about an occasional stumbling there. John is saying if you still habitually walk in the darkness, then the light of the Lord has certainly not entered into your life. You're still in darkness. You're still in your sin. Have you ever been awakened to a love for the things of God, a hatred for the things that God is opposed to, a hatred for sin and turning away from that, and then a love for the things of the Lord? Has that happened in your life? Have you been converted? A lot of people who are good church members, I fear, have never been converted. Have you met Jesus? Has there been that time that your life has been radically changed in some way or another? Tell people about it. Fourth thing I want you to see about uh, his testimony here. Paul describes his life since meeting Jesus. Look at what he begins saying there in verse 10. He said, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. I want you to notice what Paul's doing in verse 10. Lord, here's a blank check of my life. God, you fill in the check. Blank check. What do you want to do with me? You see, Paul recognizes now that after meeting Jesus that God has a whole entirely new plan for him. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.9, talking about God's grace and salvation, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Paul knew that God had a new purpose and and grace for him to follow now. Folks, God has a plan with every person he saves. Do you realize that? God has a plan with you. God's plan with me is he called me to preach. The very thing that I said I would absolutely never, ever, 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 ever do. God, I could never do that. God must have a sense of humor. God has a plan for you. When God called Paul, he made it clear to him that Paul was to go to the Gentiles. Now, folks, think about the radical change there in Paul. Because Paul was one of those Jews who despised the Gentiles. He wouldn't have wanted to share any good news with them. But now as a Christian, God is taking Paul and sending him to share the love of Christ with Gentiles. And now that was Paul's burning desire. He had no greater love in his life than taking the gospel to the Gentiles. What am I saying? I'm saying he was a changed man and he's talking about his life since meeting Jesus. Folks, God can change you. He can change what you do with your life. He can change how you feel about people. Dr. Jerry Vines tells the story of a boy standing in a crowd one day listening to a skeptic. This skeptic was trying to get the crowd all worked up. He was discounting everything that the Bible says about Jesus and doing everything that he could to try to get people to turn away from God. Now, fortunately, he wasn't having too much success. 
Oh, sure, there were a few in the crowd here or there who were kind of cheering him on and clapping, but most weren't. One of the things the skeptic was talking about was uh, that God can't do miracles. And the miracle he zeroed in on was God couldn't have changed the water into wine. Well, finally, this, this boy in the crowd raised his hand and said, Sir, can I say something? I don't know a whole lot yet, being as young as I am, but I do know this. My daddy was the meanest drunk in town. He'd come home so drunk he couldn't see straight. And he'd beat my mama to a pulp. He'd turn and beat me to a pulp and then beat my sisters to a pulp. He had the foulest mouth you've ever heard. Growing up in my house was absolutely awful. It was a living hell on earth. I used to dread coming home from school every single day. And then one day, this man got my daddy to go to church with him. And when they came home, they said something had happened to my daddy that day at the church meeting. They said that he had gotten saved. And I can tell you, my daddy doesn't come home drunk anymore. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't beat my mama. He doesn't beat me. He doesn't beat my sisters. He's the most changed man I've ever seen in my life. He loves Jesus. He loves people. And he loves God's word. Mister, it's like I've got a brand new daddy. And so, mister, I don't know whether or not Jesus turned water to wine, as you're saying to us here today, that he didn't do. But I can tell you that at my house, Jesus changed my daddy into the daddy I have today. Well, at that, the crowd slowly just began dispersing, and everybody went home. Jesus changes people. Folks, how in the world can you describe, how can you explain the life of the Apostle Paul apart from Jesus? Paul, a rabbi, excelling in his faith more than all of his contemporaries. Sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Tremendous Jewish mind. An Old Testament scholar. Hated Christ and hated Christians. And Rabbi Saul then becomes the Apostle Paul. The greatest missionary and theologian and church planner that the church has ever had. How in the world do you explain that change? You cannot explain the life of the Apostle Paul apart from his encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus changes people. Has he changed you? If so, you've got a testimony. God can use a testimony. I think of John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God. There John had disciples. And one day when John saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Bible says from that day on, John's disciples started following Jesus. A testimony is a powerful thing. Don't discount your person, uh, your your testimony. God can take your personal testimony and do His work in and through you 
by you simply sharing about the great things that God has done for you. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? And as you do, I want you to think this week, uh, if you have never done so, would you write out your testimony? Just write it out as as a way of thinking about it, thinking through it, my life before Christ, how I met Christ, my life since. Would you take some time this week just to write that out, how, how you would share it? And also pray that God would open doors, at least one door in the near future, for you to share your testimony with someone. You may even want to share it with another believer for a few times just to get comfortable doing so. But also pray that God would use you to share your testimony with somebody who needs Christ. And folks, perhaps as we reflect this morning on testimonies, as you think about the prospect of writing yours, maybe you're one of those I spoke of earlier. You realize you don't have one. You don't have a testimony. Maybe you've been in church all your life, but you've never met Jesus. You've never been born again. You've never been converted. You're still in your sin. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you about that this morning, would you at least come forward and let me pray with you, if nothing else? Let me pray with you. And I can share with you later on even. But at least let somebody pray with you this morning about becoming a Christian. Father, thank you for the change that you make in a human life. Once we were in sin, we were in darkness. The Bible describes us as enemies of God. And through Christ, you took all of the initiative. You sent your Son to be our Lord and Savior. And he bore all of our guilt and all of our sin, and he died as that perfect sin sacrifice, and you raised him from the dead, and he's seated at your right hand today, and one day he's coming back. Lord, thank you for the miracle of the change in people. And I do pray that each of us would use our testimony as a tool to witness and to serve you. And Lord, for that one today who realizes they don't have a testimony, give them the courage to step forward and say, I need to be saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.